Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. And this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. digging into this theme of makers, and uh, hopefully you get a sense of where we're going today. We are talking about how we are makers, and we're going to be talking about the city. The theme of city is a theme that weaves through the Bible, and it's one that I think will help us think about what it means for us to be makers in our city. And so we're going to dig into this. Let, Let me pray, and then we will dig into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the way that you have made us all to be makers. People who have given, who've been given hands and eyes and ears and imaginations to creatively join in the work you are doing. Thank you also for our city, for these 22,000 some odd people who are in Chestermere and those around. Lord, we thank you that this is a place that you love. Our little lake, our little safe way, our little no frills, our schools, all the things that make up our community. Lord, we thank you for this place. Help us to have an attentive imagination to what your Holy Spirit's doing in us today. Amen. So in the beginning, and we've been going right back to the beginning quite a bit in this, but in the beginning, in Genesis 1, God makes the world and this garden and invites people made and loved, people made in his image, and he invites them to tend to the garden and to the world in the same way that God tends to the garden of this world. We work with God, for God, and for the good of others. This is the opening salvo of the Bible. Yet the message of Genesis quickly takes a bit of a turn, and it's not positive. I'm going to tell you some of the ways that it's not positive. One of the ways that it takes a turn, this story right out of the gate, is that people who are meant to be keepers, God said to Adam, come and keep the garden, come and tend to the garden. Right away, these keepers abandon their call to keep the garden anymore. In fact, one generation after God says to Adam, keep this garden, his two boys, one kills the other. And he says, and when God says, where is your brother? He goes, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) I am not in charge of him anymore. I'm not in charge of anything. I want to go my own way. And so it's out of the gate right away that we see that people are abandoning their call to be a keeper. Another thing that happens right out of the gate is these people who are meant to till or meant to care for a garden go from caring for a garden to tilling the soil. Going from working to laboring. God made work. We're meant to work. We've been talking a great deal about our work and our vocation. We are meant to do stuff with our hands, but anybody here feel like the work they do feels more like a toil than maybe a good work? <laughs> this is a common theme. And it shows up right at at the beginning. And then people start to separate. Where people were together and joined in relationship with God and others, suddenly separation starts happening. Tribes and divisions and families start to mean that people don't see eye to eye anymore. People then began to use each other. There's one guy, he discovered 
uh, where there was Adam and Eve, another guy, a couple generations later, he discovered that women are something you could own. So he, right out of the gate, starts owning a bunch of women, makes them his possession, going from having the, a man and a woman created in God's image to being possessions you can own and manipulate. The story isn't very good. And then, kind of the culmination of it, these people who are supposed to be in a garden under God's care leave the garden and they make cities. Genesis starts out with a very low view of cities. Cities are not good places. By Genesis 4, Cain, who had killed his brother, he makes a city and he names it Enoch. It's the very first ever city. And here is where the city theme starts to build in the Bible. You see, the city is a snub to God. It's saying, yeah, you know what? You have your world, but we can make ours. We can make cities with taller buildings. We can, we can control things. And you might be God up there, but I can be a king down here. I can be in charge of my world. You might have gardens, but we are going to make places where people have to labor and grow things. We're going to be in charge of all, all, all this. The theme carries on and we see it throughout. We, we, we encounter the city of Babylon. We encounter Egyptian cities. We encounter Nineveh. And all these cities represent brokenness, selfishness, and a general defiance against God and turning to even other gods. Cities represent a kind of garden devoid of God. Bricks replace soil and corrupt kings replace God. Last week I was in Chicago and uh, I had a chance to go to South Chicago, to a place called Inglewood. This, this is rough. Now, I'm a white guy going to a very rough neighborhood where white people aren't really allowed to, to go in this neighborhood. It's the same population I learned as Chestermere, about 20-some thousand people. And I go there and I learn there is a, mur a murder or two a week in this community. And I go there, and every second house is boarded up. It is, it is a violent, violent place. And I went there at the invitation of a pastor uh, who I had heard, heard about, and Jonathan Brooks, and he said to me, come, come and see my neighborhood. And I'm going, like, how? Like, like how, how do you get in and out without, you know, me, with me being attacked on the other side? Of? Like, it, it, is, it is not a pleasant place. He took me to see something that I thought was just amazing. They, in this whole community of Inglewood, there is not one single shop that, has, that doesn't have bars on the windows. There's no place to sit down and eat. You are not allowed to sit and eat. You come, you go to a window, you get some food, you, you leave. Everything's scrutinized in this way. It's very violent. They, this group of people, they decided that they would do something different. They decided that they would stay. He said to me, he said, everybody wants to leave Inglewood. This is the goal. Your mother tells you, get a job so you can leave. Your grandma tells you, what are you doing? You need to play football so you can get on a team and you can leave. The whole goal is to leave. And he said to me, he said, when you want to always leave a place, how do you think you treat a place? If you're walking around with a piece of garbage and your goal is to get out of here, who cares? If somebody's walking along beside you and they have better shoes than, than, than you, and nobody's around, you could do something violent towards them to get their shoes. He says, when you have an attitude of leaving a place, you leave nothing but a trace of violence and destruction in your midst. You don't care anymore. You want to get out. And some people do. 
rappers get out. They, they, they make it big, go to a different part of Chicago or somewhere else. So I was walking there, and they took me to a coffee shop. A group of them decided that they'd stay. The first people ever to really say, we're staying in Inglewood. We actually moved here to love this place. And he showed me, and it had huge windows. It was a big corner, old brick building they renovated. It's big windows. And everybody came around and said, you, you can't put windows here. Because we break windows. Like, that's what you do. If you see a window, you break it. If it doesn't have bars, you go through the window and take what you see on the other side. They said, no, 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 we are going to stay. We're going to say we value this place. Across the street from this coffee shop, it said, across this big abandoned place, said, you are beautiful, in big sign letters like this. You are beautiful. And they turn, they're turning this corner around. They've been there for several years. One day, he said he came out of the coffee shop, and everybody said, you can't have this coffee shop. It's going to get broken into. And one day, he comes out, and there's a guy named Razor, he says, is out front. A guy that they know of. They love him. He's there swearing up a curse, yelling down the street. And he comes up and goes, it's 11 p.m. Razor, what is going on? He goes, those boys. I said, you keep moving, boys. You keep moving. Don't you touch this coffee shop. This is our coffee shop. The community, because somebody decided to stay, people in the community are saying, we love you because you loved us. You saw us. You made something beautiful. When nobody makes beautiful things here, and you said, we're going to make something beautiful, and it says right on it, this is for the neighborhood, this is owned by the neighborhood, and no one now knows who really owns the coffee shop. <laughs> Just a bunch of people who say, this is for the neighborhood. We are staying. We're making a beautiful thing. They learned that people there, you can't, it is a food wasteland. There is no grocery store. You can get Cheetos and Dr. Pepper. That's what you can eat there. You can't anywhere in Inglewood. So they learned that somebody wanted some kale. So this group of people, they decide, we're going to get kale. We're going to get green food into Inglewood. And people are like, no one eats green food in Inglewood. We just shoot each other. That's what you do here. Now they have gardens, and they're making this little, they have now a, several, several old abandoned houses they've turned into these gardens, and they make food. And people get to eat kale from their neighborhood. And he just tells these stories, and I was just in awe. It is still a violent place. It is still the kind of place you do not want to go. But there's a group of people saying, we don't want to leave. There are broken cities in the world. And the Bible starts with these pictures of these broken cities. So while the Old Testament sets up these cities as these godless places, God, it seems, is very interested in these cities. The book of Genesis doesn't say very good things, but cities, it seems, are perfect places for God and his gardeners to join together and make a taste of the Garden of Eden again. God is making all things new. In the book of Jeremiah, these people, they were taken from their land by Babylon. And the word Babylon, if you come across it in the Bible, it just represents everything big and bad. <laughs> and Babylon was a big and bad place. They would take people over, put people into slavery, kill them, whatever had to be done to just lord over. And so they eventually came, the Babylonian kings came and took people out, and, uh, and Jeremiah, this prophet, writes a letter to the people in exile. They're in another big city, like they are like under the roof of the enemy. And this is what Jeremiah writes to all these people who were taken into exile. He says this, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies of God of Israel say to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. 
Imagine this, you've been exiled, taken away. Think of a really bad city and that you or your house got burned and you've been taken away. I wonder what Jeremiah should have maybe said. Maybe he should have said, listen, fight. Put up a good stink. Jab somebody through if you get the chance. You don't care about Babylon. Babylon's done such mean things to you. You better fight Babylon from the inside out. And if you can escape, get away from there. It's not what he writes. This is what he says. He says, build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you might have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plan to garden. Get to know the people. Get mar- marry some of them, if they're good looking maybe. I don't know, right? Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you and pray for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. You see, my friends in Inglewood, everybody there does not pray for the prosperity of it. You're trying to get away from it. And here, Jeremiah is painting a different picture. God is saying, no, 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 no. We're going to work for the well-being of this place. You see, people in exile into one of these terrible cities, uh, Babylon was this anti-garden. It was this anti-Eden. Jeremiah says God is making things new even here. You see, God's people were agents of change. They work with their hands. They work to bring this Garden of Eden, this life of God, to the city, even the darkest places. God sends small people on mission to work with God into these cities. David and a few men, they went to a place called Jebus. It was a bad city, and they snuck in, and they were able to make it into their own, Jerusalem. Jonah was sent to Nineveh and finds that God was already there. Moses goes to Egypt and frees his people. Paul goes to Rome, Daniel to Babylon. These encounters are all varied, but here's the thing. God's good news can transform a city. It happens over and over again, and usually by the people who were least equipped to actually do it. Moses was a stutterer. He said, you can't send me. I don't know how to change things. Paul was a diminutive little man. The list goes on and on of people who went into these cities and changed them. Because this is is God's work. You see, cities, they've represented death and life without God. They held fear and selfishness and every terrible affront to peace. Murder without recourse. Rape and using and owning of others. Serving idols instead of God. Without love for the image of God in others. Transactional spirituality instead of a relational relationship with God. Jesus, he comes into cities and he comes into a place like Jericho. On one side of Jericho, he comes in and he sees a lame man and he heals him. And then on the, he sees this oppressed guy. And then on the other side of the city, he meets Zacchaeus up in a tree, an oppressor. Both the oppressed and the oppressor. Jesus is meeting them both in a city and he's making it new. He's healing one and he's eating with the other. And people are just like, who is this guy? Jesus on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Did you know that the shore of Chestermere is the same amount of shoreline as where Jesus spent three years loving his city? It's, it's, the, same, it's the same frontage. Jesus spent three years, his main three years of his life, at Caesarea Corsium Bethsaida, 
And he spent his time with his disciples there. There were 75,000 people in this little area along this shore in the time of Jesus. We sometimes think Jesus was off on a hillside with his friends having a picnic, talking about the good things of God way, uh, way away. No, no, no. He was in the city walking in the markets, the busyness of it all. And he's telling these stories because he's like, it is into this place that I am coming. The good news of Jesus comes here. I often, often think, isn't it great that God gave this little group of people here a city to love? We are meant to love our city. In the book of Revelation, something happens at the very end. John, this disciple that Jesus loved, he, te- he I know pot wasn't legal back, back then, but he was on something when he both wrote the book of Revelations. And I mean, he, the, he was like, he was tripping. If you ever read it, just pause and go, oh, this, this actually wasn't on something. He was, God met him and gave him this vision. And it, it, actually, we should do a sermon series on the book of Revelation because it's been really treated quite poorly over time. And actually, it is, it is a genre of literature that was very meaningful to people back then. When we read it today and it talks about dragons and some other crazy things, we go, oh, John, like, back off whatever you were doing, right? But actually, we, through it all, we actually get a picture of the character and nature of God. And he talks about Babylon. Now, if we don't understand the culture of cities and what God is doing with it, then the constant reference to Babylon and dragons and all that doesn't make sense. But these cities, these this sense of empire taking everything over and cities being places of such injustice and such terrible, terrible treatment of each other. And into this story comes this God who comes riding like a steed to come and make things well again. We should do a sermon series on it because there's a lot going on. But I'm going to read just one thing here. When people are wondering, God, how are you going to make things right again? In a world where people are being killed by the tens of thousands by this empire, the Roman Empire, God, where are you? Jesus, you came and you made things right, but things are not right over there and over there and over there. So where are you? And John writes this, the book of Revelation. And in it, I think, is this beautiful picture that he has. Listen to what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I'm about to tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said this, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Wow. Book of Revelation. What was this guy up to, right? What's he saying here? In this world where these places of corruption had emerged, He is saying that there is something else coming. That God is actually creating his city over top 
of our cities. That his presence will come. And that heaven is like a city that kind of descends from heaven and enters into our city. And we are agents of creating the city of God here. So places like Inglewood, where there is all those awful things I just listed, it's a burning place. And people want to flee from it. Instead of saying, come, let me help you get away from hell, God is saying, I'm about to bring my heaven into hell. I'm about to step into the darkest, worst places, and my people are going to be prepared to go there. And they are going to bring the good news, and there's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more death. This is going to be right wiped away because God is coming to you. This is the good news of Jesus. Not that we're going to be sucked out and away. Finally, who needs this city? Who needs Chestermere? You can throw garbage over the side and steal someone's shoes. Right? No, 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 no. God has a very different vision. He says, no, no, we go into Chestermere. We step into this place with the good news of Jesus because we have the full weight of God's promises at our back and we are stepping in to make this place new. You might look at either side and see your neighbors on one side and on the other and look and go, oh, don't like them. Oh, definitely don't like them. And we just hunker down and wait for the end. We got our golden Jesus ticket. I'm out of here. When this story's over, I don't need this place anymore. You might be surprised that actually the story might end with God moving into our places. And we will only maybe recognize that he's here if we've already started with him now. So this vision of this coming city of God, it filled early followers of Jesus with tremendous hope. They moved into Rome. They moved into the big cities and they started to gather. And their simple act of faithfully loving their neighbors. Patience was the virtue of the day. They loved. That's what they did. There was babies who were left out to rot, who were born. If you were twin, one was evil. So you'd take one baby and put him out on a pyre. And let them just be exposed. And the Christians, they would go and they would gather up these, these babies and make them their own. These Christians, they moved into hard places and it started to spread. In the first 200 years, millions of people came to faith in Jesus. And it was a movement and people are still studying and going, how did this happen? How did these places utterly transform with just a few uneducated people living in some cities loving the place? This shouldn't happen. They didn't have a big machine. They didn't have a big organizational structure and flowcharts. Their budgets were small. They were diminutive folks. So God is interested in the well-being of our place. And he isn't saying, let's get out of here as fast as we can. He's saying, let's get in. Let's step in and love our neighbors. So, look at your map. This is our city. This is it. We have the added benefit of a pretty lake, too, even, right? Some people don't, don't have that. Got a golf course. Did you find some of your neighbors on it? Was anybody able to put a little mark on it there? Right? This is a place that we aren't seeking to leave. <laughs> this is a place we're seeking to step into. Did you know 1% of this city attends Lake Ridge? That's a big number. 1%, holy crow, can you imagine? There's 1%, this represents 1% of our city is attending and is saying, we want to love our city, follow Jesus into our place. My question is, how do we love our city now? This is the question that I probably wake up at four in the morning and, and I think about. How do we love our city? It is not enough that we just make a little club called Lake Ridge 
that sings some songs and listens to a guy say some nice words and heads home. That's that's not actually the plan of Jesus. (laughs) The plan is that this is a home base for us to love our city and our neighbors well. That's what this is. So how do we love our city? When you look at this map, what does it need? What is broken? What needs our love and care? And you might go, but I don't have enough. (laughs) I got a full one hour of margin in my life at the end of the week. And that would be devoted to a nap on Sunday afternoon, right? But here we stand as a diminutive group of people and God is saying, this is where I am coming to. How do we make a city that reflects the love of Jesus? Is Jesus in our city? What might Jesus be inviting us to do in this city? How do we co-conspire with Jesus to love our city? Where do you see God at work on this map? Where do you see something where you just know that Jesus must be, be behind it? Or where do we sense that there's still broken things in this city? I think a lot of our troubles in this city are hidden. I think we have some pretty nice garage doors and some pretty good front, front doors and some nice tall fences. I think a lot of pain is hidden. We might not have murders in the streets like in Inglewood, but there is a lot of dying happening in this town. I know a lot of the stories, and it is hard. There's days I go, God, do you, st- do you love this place? Does the good news of Jesus affect Chestermere? What is hidden here that needs to be healed and loved? I believe this good story of God is that God is moving in and some tears are going to be wiped away. And I believe it's going to be this 1% of people here who are going to play a huge force in loving this city. Friends, Lake Ridge will get boring fast. It will. If we are here just to do I don't know, whatever we think we should do. It gets boring really fast. It gets boring when we live just for ourselves. But I tell you something that will make your faith in Jesus the least boring thing you'll ever do in your life, and it is to love your neighbors and look for the well-being and prosperity of our city and the people who live around us. If we live with our faith in that posture, this will be the least boring group of people you will hang out with. We will come in here with limps and dislocated shoulders going, it was great out there this week. We stepped into our place and we loved our neighbors and it transformed our city and it's transforming us. And we will know what to do with our resources, with our time, with our energy. We won't have to get a little focus group to go, what should we do next? Because we will know because we will be involved in our city. This is for all of us. You see, the goal is nothing short of blessing our city and loving our neighbors. And if you think that's a small goal, try it. Friends, God is calling us. We have a vocation. Vocation means call, and we have been called, love, Chestermere, to work with allies and friends, to bless the socks off of this community. And I dare say that if we step into this calling, even with the most modest ambition and hope, God will establish his city here and now among us, and we will experience heaven here. I've already had tastes of it, and it is good. It is worth, I've decided it is worth spending my life to do. You are a worker with Jesus in our community and doing uniquely what God has gifted you to do to better this place. You might take what you have and put it under a rock or think it's not worth something, but God has a way of making it worth something. 
Let me say this. If we ever build a building, or two, or five, or ten, I reached out to some friends, pastors, and I said, if you could build something in your community, what would it, what, what would it be? And the list was long. A place of worship, a coffee shop, a community center, a housing facility, a women's shelter, a botanical garden, a social enterprise, a youth center, a theater space, a library, a conference center, a playground, apiary, I put that, or an art center. You see, I believe sometimes we're asking the question, should we build a building one day or not? A lot of people say, when will Lake Ridge become a church? AKA, when will you get the building? When will then you become a real pastor? You know, those sorts of things. I'm kidding. It's probably true, but... Listen, I believe that the question shouldn't be, are we going to build a building for ourselves? The question should be, how many things can we build for our city? How many things in the short life of Lake Ridge are we going to help build in our city? And it's not just brick and mortar. There's going to be a whole lot of things that our city is going to need. And when I know what's going on in this community, I know there is all the creativity in the world we need to begin to make things for our city that utterly bless the socks off of it. I think that is the mission of Lake Ridge. We are the makers of our city to bring a taste of heaven to our city. I believe we have the full weight of God right at, our, right at our backs. So friends, this is why I'm wanting to flex our imaginations. This is why we're talking about being makers, because it isn't just for us to make another craft. It's to take that same part of our brain and say, we are going to love this place. And we're going to see the kingdom of God present in our midst. And we're going to have fun doing it. Friends, I want you to, to look, look around. The people in this room are your partners. They're allies with you. You are not alone. If you looked at this map, maybe you had somebody circle it. Maybe you're surprised that somebody lives right down the street from you or right next door to, to, to you. Friends, we are the 1% of Lake Ridge, and we are sprawled around here, and we love this city. We love this city. We are makers here. In two Sundays, we are going to be doing this maker fair. And I know some of you are probably like, I don't make anything. This isn't for you. This isn't for you to show off something that you made. This is the secret trick. This is not for you. This is for others. That they can see that they are not alone. That they are surrounded by a community of people who make things. Who do strange audio engineering at work all day. Who know how to change diapers who are building cars and writing books and creating songs. My brother-in-law in the basement, he comes out, he's like, I wrote a song today. He lives in my basement and he wrote this crazy song. It was awesome. It was terrible and awesome all at the same time. <laughs> I wanted to come here and show you all his song because there's even a budding song guy in my basement right now. Friends, this is for each other. So I want you to go today, if you can, sign up to join us for this Maker Fair and bring the thing you make. Show us, because we're in this together. Could you please stand with me? Friends, Jesus didn't think it was below him to spend three years, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, it wasn't below him to spend three years along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is not a place we're trying to leave. This is a place we're trying to move into and love with Jesus and he showed us how. He did it patiently, graciously, lovingly, and with a handful of people. 
Friends, we are in the same boat. A handful of people who've been loved so deeply by Jesus that it's overflowing to the world around us. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go into his city that he loves so much. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. And I've been asked, the chairs are to be stacked 10 high, please. So if there's mathematical makers in the room, 